and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined by my friend and co-host, the amazing Stu Lennon. Hey Stu, how's things over there today? They are absolutely splendid, Justin. They are fantastic. I've, I've got a deadline for midnight tonight, but I've already beaten it. It's done. It's finished. It's away. So Mrs. Mrs. L is back from work and all the drama that that entails, it's admin week. And admin week in a primary school is when women, who are normally very nice to each other, pull out their scimitars and start stabbing each other in the face. Honestly, it's like a soap opera. I do my best to listen, but most of it does go over my head. But generally speaking, there's this sort of schools out feel about the place. Mm. So Mrs. L will soon be off. She's going off to, to Sicily for a couple of weeks which is me home alone with the dogs. Oh. Uh, I don't know who allowed that, but that, that's going to win badly, obviously. All you need is a chainsaw and some backwoods and some beers, and hey, you're right into my life. Mm, yep. Chain, no, backwoods, chainsaws, no. Beers, yeah, I'm prepared to consider those. Uh, golf courses, uh, and of course, well, just sort of hanging out by the pool. That's uh, the, the dancing girls will be round, clearly. This is uh, how I threaten Mrs. O whenever she goes away. I get the dancing girls around. Yes, um, Chi-Chi in space. <laughs> Absolutely, indeed. Uh, so, no, um, tickety-boo, thanks. It's summer here, it's warm, um, and as I say, I've just, I've just sort of cleared a deadline, which uh, nothing feels better than that. What about you? How are things in sunny, question mark, Canada? Uh, sunny, yes. Um, hot, warm, buggy a little bit yesterday, but it's getting there. It's, it's ups and downs. Uh, getting that weird time of year where the heat comes in and then we get the storm that follows it and that creates lightning strikes and uh yeah it's just uh we gotta be careful it's it's such a weird year this year everything is very dry but uh nothing major to report on that front so all is good i am a, i i we were talking for a minute before we started recording and you said something about 3,000 words. Mm. Tell me, Stu, your thing was 3,000 words, was it not? <laughs> well, all right. So the way that the business project of my MBA works is that you have to do a 3,000-word proposal, uh, including a literature review, which is something that every student loves. Um, and that's ungraded but sort of forms the, the kickoff of the whole thing. So uh, you submit that, uh, you get assigned a supervisor, uh, supervisor will give you some feedback, perhaps some direction, um, and then essentially it's down to you to get on and, and plan and, and execute your project. Um, so I was a little bit miffed, I'll be honest, 3,000 words unassigned to someone of my sort of, call it entrepreneurial nature it's like that's a lot of work for no tangible reward not sure i'm wild about that i'll be honest um and you know deadline manager that i am i kind of just put it in that oh i must get to that box and uh, then realized that i needed to get to it pretty sharpish because the deadline is uh ooh, in about uh six hours i guess from now my time um so anyway, I, I sort of labored through it and sort of made a, a decision that done was better than perfect. 
um, because I'm not getting graded on it anyway. I'm going to get feedback, which is, you know, if the feedback says your references aren't, aren't in the correct form, I'll go, yeah, I kind of didn't give that much attention because I don't care until you're grading me. Um, anyway, so got it all done. Went into to the website where I have to do, where I upload all of my assignments and hit the upload button. And instead of the usual dialogue, which, uh, you know, I have to tick a few boxes saying that, you know, I haven't copy pasted huge amounts of this thing and blah, blah, blah. For, for sort of plagiarism, I haven't used chat GPT. I don't think it says that, but it certainly implies it. Um, you do all that and then you upload a document in any format you like, as long as it's Microsoft Word. Okay. So I open the dialogue. Completely different. Uh-oh. What I get is a web form <laughs> that says, right, okay, well, the first stage is that you have to put 500 words in here saying what your project is, what it's about, and who, what sort of subject area you think it's in. And we'll read that, and we'll assign you a supervisor. Take a couple of weeks. No, I've checked. Nowhere else in the course materials, on the assignment, anywhere is it mentioned that this is different. So I have been staring at a thing that says business project proposal, 3,000 words, suggested date, 29th of the 6th. And actually, it's not at all. It's 500 words. Um, and presumably, once I've got uh, a tutor or a supervisor, they'll say, uh, right, well, the first stage is to do a business project proposal, at which point I'll go, I've just sent it to you. And, and then we'll <laughs> see where we go from there. So I don't know whether to be delighted, stressed, upset. At the end of the day, the work had to be done. It has been done. Um, and yeah, so it was a copy-paste exercise to pick 500 of the better words, put those in the thingy and see what happens. Chat GPT summarizes 3,000 words into 500. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't done anything with Chat GPT yet, but um, I imagine that this must be I mean, all over academia, this must be going absolutely bananas, chat GPT stuff. Um, because I'm pretty certain that a lot of the people looking at all of these papers and, you know, having to grade them, they, they must be think, thinking, well, they all look like chat GPT to me. <laughs> it must be very difficult for them to work it out. But uh, I, I dare say people will be way ahead of me. And for the record, Nobody cares if I get a master's degree. The only person on the planet who cares if I get a master's degree is me. Um, and I have both the means and the connections to buy a master's degree if I want one. So um, I really don't see there would be an awful lot of point in, in me cheating. I would just be cheating myself. Um, but yeah, it must be a real problem for, for people, you know, for institutions for whom this is a, a valuable source of income. Um, you know, they, they've got to be on top of this stuff, which be hard work. Yeah. I was just uh, thinking, uh, you know, you were talking back to uh, admin week and thinking admin week creates things like, here's your 3000 word essay that you have to do that's unmarked. And, oh no, we just need 500 of it now. That seems like an ad admin week kind of project, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's quite interesting to me to observe. Uh, so my wife works in, in a school that does um, everything from, you know, little tiny tots uh, up through primary school onto secondary school. Uh, the American terminology for that, I'm not sure, but I imagine it ends with high school. So it covers people from, 
Uh, I think there are kids as young as five through to about 18. There you go. That's the range. And my w- wife works in the bit that covers kids from, say, eight to 12, which we call primary. And um, which we call trouble. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the modern world and the modern sort of concerns that, that schools have, you know, there's, there's forever people saying, mm, yeah, yeah, physical contact with the kids. You have to be a little bit careful about that. And I mean, I'm no, uh, you know, family man. I don't have kids of my own. But I imagine if an eight-year-old comes running up to you saying, uh, Mrs. Margaret, Mrs. Margaret, give me a hug. Then, I mean, what do you do? Say, no, don't go there, eight-year-old child. I mean, I, I don't understand. But um, yeah, it's all very frenetic and stressful. And it's all about the kids and the parents. And it's like a big soap opera. And then admin week is just worse. Because I, and the way I see it is the common enemy, the children, have been removed. And so then just the teachers seem to turn on each other and all the grievances of the year of, uh, just get, come out and get aired. And it's all very vituperative and hard work and they're all tired and stressed. So, they start assigning these 500-word essays <laughs> that, uh, yes, we'll do that just out of spite to make everybody's life difficult. I certainly get the impression that some of the nonsense that I've put up in the cor- corporate world will be nothing like as rough as what goes on in primary schools. That's that's my one takeaway from it. <laughs> I don't know. I I didn't do well in school when I was there. I uh, did not follow norms. Is that the nice way of saying it, Stu? I think I think you might have been up there with me. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, indefinitely rusticated. Look it up, people. Um, and the other thing that happened was that um, my my mum has been going through a flurry of diagnoses about the, about the big big cancer word, um, and she had two consultations this week. One was uh, with the kidney guy because her last scan had sort of shown shown uh, something in the kidney that didn't look right, you know. But we're not overly worried about that. And then the second one was with a consultant because she's got a swollen helar, which is a lymph node. And it was, oh, is that related to the cancer that she had treated last year? And there was lots of panic and lots of, it was all very confused. So the, the, the sort of simple conversation was around the kidney, which began, and I quote, ah, right, yes, Mrs. Lennon, yes. You're the one who's had cancer in your kidney since 2017. Oh, lovely. To which my mother responded, I'm sorry. What? Or words to that effect. Or oh, actually, it's my mum. So she probably went, Are you sorry? What? Um, my mother had no idea that she had cancer in her kidney. Now, I suppose it's possible that she was told this and, and, and forgot it, but I find that unlikely. Um, despite my mother's advancing years, she does have all of her marbles. Um, and I guess that word cancer would stick in one's mind. Oh, it does. Believe me, I've uh, I've been down that path. I've uh, seen what that does to somebody. Oh, it, you don't suddenly block that one out and say, you know what? Mm. Uh, I'll just take a pill for it. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah, you know, an Advil or a Tylenol will work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, it turns out that he's very, very sanguine about the whole thing. He said, well, at its current rate of growth, and he sort of got his calculator right. He said it'll be sort of ten years before it reaches the end of the kidney. Uh, and my mother is. You know, her next birthday should be eighty. So, um, I think his, his, his he was implying that this kind of might not be something to worry about. There may be 
maybe larger things to take on. Um, however, I believe, and again, this is now sort of you know second or third hand information. Um, he said that he might be able to freeze it out. And so my mother said, well, okay, I'm just going to bank all this information and come back to you once I've had my second meeting, which was uh, regarding her lungs, uh, where she had the cancer last year. That one um, was all set up to be a fight because essentially what had happened was she'd had a CT scan, which had identified this uh, swelling in the HELAR. Um, and everybody got all swelling in the HELAR because that could be that could be cancer in the in the lymph nodes, which is, is fairly bad news. It means your, your cancer is mobile often. Please take your own medical advice. I'm not an expert. Um, and because of where this particular HELAR is, um, if you're interested, it's sort of between the spine and the aorta, um, there was no real chance of, of a biopsy. You know, doing a biopsy would require you know, 16 surgeons, 400 robots, and um, you know, get it wrong in its curtains time. So uh, the, the sort of general surgical opinion was, no, we'll just leave that be and see what happens. Um, and the reason that they were so laissez-faire about it was the surgeon who had operated on my mum and removed part of her lung uh, was at the meeting and said, mm, that could still be post-op swelling. HELAR can be a bit funny like that. Mm-hmm. None of that information had previously been communicated to my mum. What had been communicated to her was, well, we'll just leave it a few months and do another scan, which she was understandably a little bit uh, annoyed about. Uh, so she went in there ready to fight. Um, and if you want to know where my feistiness comes from, it's from her. So um, God, God help that poor hospital. But as it turned out, it was all sort of fairly straightforward. And she went, oh, okay, right. That makes perfect sense to me. Okay, I'm right. I've got a kidney thing to sort. Bye. Uh, and I spoke to my mum today. She seems very relaxed. Um, I think she feels she's she's got all the info she needs and she's, she's moving forward. So uh, bizarrely, great news. Although I'm still slightly questioning how you can have a cancer from 2017 and not know and not be told that. Hey, what can you do? National health, isn't it? Uh, that's that's. Yeah, that's what they call it. The the joke of uh, uh, you know why English people have bad teeth, right? Because national health. <laughs> well, they took dentistry out of that. It's very complicated getting a dentist. But uh, yes, the the um, the whole sort of my teeth aren't perfect thing has really not taken off in Britain. <laughs> you said it, but your teeth are, are you know imperfect. They go yeah well, and. <laughs> Um, my hair's not perfect neither. Um, I mean, nose could do with a bit of work. I, I mean, it hasn't really taken off, but, um, yes, it's a fair point. Um, my, my teeth look as though, well, it looks as though they're sort of built to last about a hundred years. Oh, hang on. Anyway, what about you? What's your, your follow-up? What's been going on in the world of Twyford? Well, I've been on the phone with Apple. <clears throat> Every day for the last week. Well, since Friday last week. Um, I'm asking for you, you. You want your your Vision Pro. You want it delivered personally. Do you? Is, is that what it is? Yeah. Well, uh, first thing I got to say, I don't know if you've had to use Apple support lately. It is remarkably good. You start it from the app on your phone. So they have who you are and everything. Uh, they have the ability to shadow your phone. They click something. It says, do you want to share your phone screen with Apple? 
-hmm. and they can draw little lines and say, please click here, please click there, because they can't do anything. Okay. Um, but uh, they uh, quickly escalated me to the senior technician. And the senior technician got on the phone, has made follow-up appointments with me. I have a follow-up scheduled next Wednesday with Apple support. This, this girl is going to call me at 2.30 in the afternoon, Stu. And she does. Wow. It's, it's so impressive. So impressive. Um, the bad. Uh, well, Apple Watches. So, um, you know, everybody, we've been talking about Stu's tattoos, and I'm going to put a big caution out, Stu. Do not get your wrist tattooed the outside of your wrist. You will <laughs> not be able to wear an Apple Watch. Uh, I bought the Apple Watch Ultra when it came out. And I've had ongoing issues with uh, basically I, I lift it up and I have to put my passcode in to do anything over the winter. I kind of put it down to um, just me wearing sleeves and heavy, heavy jackets and all that stuff. And I didn't really think too, too much of it because it's a lot bigger. You know, it gets snagged on things. Um, well, now I'm into summer and shorts and t-shirts and I've still been having this problem last week. It was driving me nuts. Every time I went to look at the time, it, mm -hmm. it says it's locked, punch in your passcode. And I said, okay, this just isn't right. It's getting worse. So sure. I, I reached out to Apple. Um, now, the caveat here been my previous Apple, which is uh, my previous Apple Watch, Series 3, has no problems with tattoo. It lives on the same place. Mm -hmm. uh, so we went through a bunch of things. We went, turn this off, turn that off. Does this still happen? Wear it on the other wrist, which is, it's a bit like cheating on your wife, you know, wearing your watch on your other wrist. Oh, it's just an uncomfortable feeling. But I did it for the sake of diagnosing the problem. Um, I think I'm back to the problem that this thing just does not like my tattoo. I've got tattoos on both wrists. One of them is a little bit darker in that spot on the outside mm. of my wrist than the other one. Uh, or I've I seen should... correlation. I'm not convinced about causation. Well, Apple is saying to hell with it. We're going to send you a brand new watch anyway. Exactly. I thought that's what they would come down to the end. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really, really impressed that. Are you sending me the old one or do you have to send it back? <laughs> no, I have to send it back. They, they took a $1,300 charge off my credit mm. card to make sure that they get the other one back. Yeah, that would focus the mind. <laughs> I did. Yeah. It was either that or I could send. She said, Do you have an Apple store near you? Uh, yes, about 450 kilometers across <laughs> the mountains. Yeah, define near. <laughs> Can you go to it? No, no, that's not going to happen. Um, but we looked at some other options and none of the other options had the Apple watch ultra because, you know, I, I live in a, I live in a place where I explained to the lo the local re reseller that I had an XDR and uh, I could have had three heads sticking out from the look that he gave me. <laughs> I, I've never, never heard of anybody with these things. Um, anyway, the Apple Watch Ultra is a bit unobtainium, certainly in the same way. Uh, they are mailing one to me. They took the deposit on my credit card. Apple Pay, of course. Um, but yeah, I am really, really impressed with... The way they are treating this like it's it's quick i've got the shipping notification within maybe a half an hour to an hour mm -hmm. that it's been shipped to me just 
absolutely stunning. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this until I kind of threw in at the end of one of the supports. Can you fix airplay as well? And they seriously, oh, what's wrong with you? No, no, I've. I'm spending a lot of time talking to Apple, trying to fix my watch. I don't want to go down the random things that is AirPay. I was going to say, Justin, I've got a list here, mate. I've got a list of things you could take. I mean, first of all, I'd, I'd like you to engage with them about the smaller phone size, okay? I appreciate that not many people want it, but Jason Snell does, and I do. And I think that, frankly, should be enough. We need a proper compact size phone. I don't need this huge, massive slab. Walking around with an iPod to your ear makes you look silly. There, I've said it. Well, as we were talking before before the show, uh, somebody actually called unexpectedly, and I got anxiety because, do I pick it up? Don't I pick it up? Um, I don't walk around with this thing stuck to my ear at all, you know? You millennial, you. Like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't have a phone to talk to people. Send me messages. Let me see it, and then I can respond. Yes, I have become a monomenum, I guess. Yeah, you can't be one of those. You can't say it. <clears throat> Apparently. Anyway, Apple. Um, ups and downs, but this week I'm I'm back on the, the, the train. Not enough to get that silly headset thing, but I think <laughs> we're going to talk about that next week. Indeed. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely going to be watching the whole uh, Apple Watch Ultra. Uh, quite carefully because the rumor is they're going to bring a new one out uh, this year so that that might hmm, that might grab my attention given that i can't buy a phone because they're all too big hmm. well this is pretty big too Stu. <laughs> you know I, and i'm not sure do you have any tattoos there yet uh i don't and i'm i'm, I'm still not buying into the tattoo theory <laughs> i'm sorry i think your new ultra is going to work fine on your tattoo oh well let's let's hope it does uh, a follow-up to come um, all right, Stu, what is your tool of the week? Uh, tool of the week, hot, heat, summer. Um, it's, uh, it happens every year. It comes like a shock to us. We spend weeks going, God, it's not very hot yet, is it? Mm, you know, it's, it's quite cold. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure I like it. Then it goes hot. <sighs> um, I played golf uh, earlier this week. Uh, my usual thing, quite early in the morning, just after seven. And the humidity was up, and I mean properly up, to the extent that I was standing on the tee, soaked. And that's before I walk, um, I don't know, six miles with a big bag of bats on my back. Um, it was really, really hot. And I came back from golf with a sort of, you know, full schedule. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to go and hang around in the pool for a little bit. Then I'm going to... What, what what old people do when we say we're going to read, which is we open the book stroke Kindle and then go to sleep. So uh, that's what I did. So aircon is officially on in the Lennon household. We, we, we generally, we sort of hold back on putting this on um, because A, it's expensive and B, I'm, I'm not convinced it's very good for you, aircon. Uh, so we have some in the bedroom so that we can sleep. Uh, we have some uh well i have some in my office so that i can work oh i know um, all about this <laughs> yes indeed well you've got clever things that do it stop being a martyr um and get this we have <laughs> we have an air conditioning unit in the kitchen for the dogs oh i know all about this one <laughs> so um yeah it's it's 
I love the heat, but it does turn me into a complete wreck within about four hours. I'm just constantly tired and wanting to sleep. Mm. But then aircon into the aircon and suddenly I'm working away. I'm feeling on top of the world. Then I phone somebody else who's in Cyprus who isn't in aircon. And they're like, what? Like, oh, can you do this thing for me? No. I'm convinced that heat is part of the reason that nothing gets done in the summer here. Everybody just gets dark and bothered. Mm. How hot are you guys at the moment? Oh, we're not too bad. I mean, we're sort of uh, on the coast, I suppose, low 30s, 33, 34, something like that. Um, but the humidity is coming. So the July is typically the the humid month. Uh, so that's that's arrived. You can actually, from from my balcony, I can actually see the layer of of humidity where, where it stops. Um, sometimes at the house we're above it, which is great. Um, but then when I go to play golf or go into town, then you're definitely beneath it, and that's not so great. Mm. Yeah, so you're not your coast isn't too far away from us. We're 32 today, um, mm-hmm. 31 yeah. tomorrow or Saturday. Uh, yeah. So we're kind of in that same, that same, mm-hmm. uh, ballpark. Um, luckily we don't have that much humidity because well, the humidity generally creates uh, storms here. So that's a good thing, but yes, uh, naps are good. Air conditioning's good. Um, I have a dog that is a princess that, we, we have to change our walking schedule in the heat, Stu. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, we, go out in, we go out in the morning, and then we used to go out after work, and now we go out before bed. Um, and generally, it's still hot enough that she walks a, a little bit and then looks at me and motions to be picked up, and I carry her. And so I have a sweaty, uh, you know, section on the front of uh, my, my T-shirt because I've guaranteed that Carrying a furry dog like mine is going to get me sweaty. <laughs> well, my dogs, um, if, if they get walked at all at this, this time of year, then they want to be back by seven. Um, it's just way too hot out there. Um, and, you know, the, the, the path gradually through the day gets hotter and hotter and hotter because our temperature will now start ramping up. So we'll, we'll get to, we'll probably hit 40, I would say, in a couple of weeks. Oof. Um, and that's just way too hot for dogs to be out there. Will be um, even Chichi comes into the office, and she doesn't generally like spending any time with me at all. But um, she, she'll come into the aircon. Yeah, Coco has a problem that uh, none of her friends that she likes to go and visit because ah, she's a social dog. I, how did an introvert like me get an extroverted dog? Anyway, none of her friends are out for the morning walk, which means she wants to go for the evening walk so that she can stop and see everybody and get nose pets. Dogs. I don't know, Stu. What do we Things do? we do for dogs. What about your tool of the week, Justin? What have you got? I'm back with Pomodoros. I was trying something. I tried a new app off setup the other day. Um, I'm trying to find the right app slash tool uh, this started because i picked up the book again which um i haven't read in a long long time and uh a questionable value everything is about writing things down which and making x's and uh, apostrophes and you know it's oof. um the idea though i find is quite useful pre-planning scheduling sessions you know just go on that I've got a really decent app for my phone, but I find touching my phone is bad for me because as soon as you start playing around with a 
Pomodoro timer. Something else is going to happen. You know how that is, Stu. For sure. Uh, so I was trying. I was trying an app on my computer, which does the Pomodoro part very well, but is horrible for pauses and things like that. So uh, it it assumes that it, once you start a Pomodoro, you are not going to stop all day long until you close the app which is not kind of how my day works. I schedule some blocks of time. Here we go. I've got a, a you know, a time here where I know I'm not going to be interrupted. I'm going to do, you know, four Pomodoros in the morning. And then later in the afternoon, here's another block of time. But during that other time, I work on other things. I can't always be completely focused to the point where I'm not going to answer my phone because that's just not how the businesses that I'm in are, are, are working. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out something that is a combination. I'm looking at a, a tool online, but, uh, do you have any good recommendations for a Mac app or anything that is good and is flexible as a, as a sort of timer, you mean, it's a, mm, um, well, I want something that does a time and then starts the break time and then brings mm. me back from the break time, but can allow me to program in how many I want. So, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily do a full day of Pomodoro techniques because well, life. Yeah. Um, but I do want to use it at a certain point. This, this app that I got that I downloaded, uh, it's a setup special. So, you know, it's, it's pretty decent, but, um, in order to pause a Pomodoro break, you actually have to start the Pomodoro and then pause the Pomodoro session which really defeats the object for me mm. because you know i, I want to be able to drop into these and do it now this is probably much like the book uh because the book is like that but i want something that has enough flexibility that works with my system so i'm looking at this thing called a a, a, a little digital timer thing that you put on your desk mm -hmm. which might be good but um i'm not sure yet yeah i remember looking at one um it was actually for um, it was a time tracking app that had, uh, a physical cue that you had on you, you could buy and put it on your desk and it, you know, linked to the, the iOS app and you used it if, you know, you had one side was, um, you know, I don't know, accountancy work and another side was writing or whatever you, you could you define your own categories and rather than mucking about with your app, you just turned the cube. So I suppose you could sort of hack that, you know, to have a side that go bang, break. <laughs> um, but it then wouldn't alert you. I, it's not something I've ever looked for because I'm, I, I like the Pomodoro concept. I'm not wild about the rigidity of it. So um, I like the idea of writing down on my uh, analog, you know, I'm going to work on this, this and this, and maybe mentally going, okay, that's, that's going to be two sessions. I'm going to hit that, have a break, hit it again, done. Um, but those sessions won't necessarily be 30 minutes. They'll be, you know, maybe 45 and then 20 or I, I like that flexibility. So I haven't really looked, but there must be one out there. Well, there must be several out there. It's just whether they'll do them for the Mac. Cause you could run a, an iPad one on your Mac. Couldn't you? Oh, I, <laughs> I thought you might say that. Yes, still, still, we won't go there. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I might even, I was thinking, I know you've got that fancy timer, um, 
whatever it is that you turn upside down and it goes from one to the other. Uh, something like that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? The egg timer. The egg timer thing. Yes. An hourglass. <laughs> ah, words. Words are hard this morning. I've not had enough coffee. Um, I thought about something like that, but it would just stop and I would ignore it because like you, I get focused until I finish the task rather than necessarily the time and trying to do the Pomodoro is all about having that, that set sort of time break. So we shall see. I'm not sure what the answer is yet, but it's something I'm looking at. Um, and like anything, I'll probably throw money at it. Yes, <sighs> do. <laughs> what are you writing with? What am I writing with? Uh, the same as last week, actually. So, so my um, Pelican M600 Vibrant Orange um, with uh, my Diamine ink. Loving it. It'll it'll soon run out, I think, but still enjoying it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've not gone through a pen this week. I've been digitally busy. What about you? What have you been working with? I picked up a Retro 51 the other day from my desk. Uh, this is the Smithsonian Raven Steals the Sun Rollerball. Uh, that is got the really neat, um, almost uh, totem style First Nations design on it. So absolutely lovely. Living up here is, well, I'm just a few minutes away from uh, protected uh, uh Indian band land up here. Okay. As I think what they call that. Um, so, you know, uh, there are wild horses that live on there and wild cattle. And uh, it's just a really neat place to be. And it stops a lot of development in my, my neighborhood because this is just to the south of me. There's a whole bunch of areas that are basically blocked off for development. So um, it's, you know, th this is very cultural. There's uh a lot of culture, particularly in my area of North America. I know all of North America really had it has history in this, but uh, certainly for me, uh, embracing that part of it, respecting it, and well, enjoying writing with a pretty looking retro fifty one. Not too bad. Yeah, nice pens. Can't fault the retro fifty one. If you like fancy pens, you'll probably get on with the retro. I'd say. And it's so nice. I could just leave it uncapped or uh, extended on my desk and just pick it up and write with it. And that was actually what I needed it for as a telephone call. I didn't want to be capping and uncapping, capping and uncapping. So I just use this to take some notes and there you go. It stayed on my desk all week. How's that? Splendid. All right, Stu. I'm not sure I want to do this again, but I had committed. <laughs> I found a, I found something that I thought was interesting, an article uh, from Greg McEwen's uh, email list, and it was becoming a problem finder rather than a problem solver. And it was something that resonated with me, which probably means Stu's going to rip me apart here for uh, something. But um, the idea behind it is, uh, I'm going to read a couple of parts of, of, his uh, email when presented with a problem most of us and i'm going to add particularly as men uh, instinctively rush to defend it and look for solutions this can lead us to become locked into that version of a problem what he defines as 
Problem finders take a different path. Instead of rushing to define a problem, they seek to understand it. They look at it from multiple angles and consider various alternatives. They ensure they're solving the right problem, which helps them find the best solution. I'm Stu. Any thoughts on problem finders versus problem solvers? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do, uh, I'm not wild about the terminology because I don't think it's it's a problem finder. It's more of a problem understander. But um, but it's pithy, isn't it? You know, you've got problem find. It is pithy. It is more catchy. Um, better in a blog post, I would say. Um, Marketing. It's it's everything we're doing now is a hashtag stew. I do, yeah. Hashtag problem problem finder. Um, it's um. Yeah, no, I think it's true. It's it's undeniably true. I the way I try and think of it is that of a hundred problems that come to me, ten of them are problems. Um, the other ninety probably aren't actually, and it is about that whole uh, taking some time to uh, to assess um, what comes. So I, it comes in my life. It comes two ways. One I'm very good at, and one I'm very bad at. So the one I'm very bad at is uh, the current Mrs. Lennon will come back to me and spew forth about the terrible goings on in the world of primary schools and what happened and what that person did and this person said. And uh, oh, oh, it's all horrible. And there's the part of me that used to run companies that goes, okay, so the issue is this, that. So I will interrupt and say, yep, yeah, enough of the detail now, thanks. Do this, do that, tell her to do that and tell her to do this. Thanks very much, bye. Um, which is the exact opposite of what I need to do because my wife is not actually bringing me a problem. She is bringing me lots of emotion. She's bringing me lots of feelings. Uh, she's wanting to vent. She's wanting to share. And the correct way to deal with that is to shut up. Uh, not something that plays to my strengths, I'll be honest. But I, I, I do try, or I am trying. Well, I'm trying to everyone, but I'm trying to get better at not instinctively rushing in, as, uh, as the quote says. On the other hand, in a working environment, I'm pretty good at this. So I have clients who are in, um, what do you call it, regulated sectors. So they have supervisors. Um, who might be uh, might be the FCA in the UK? It might be uh, His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Uh, it might be uh, FinCEN in, in the US. Whoever. And obviously, if you have a business in the regulated sector and you have an inspection from one of these supervisors, it's quite scary. Um, and what tends to happen is that at the end of an inspection, you get an email or a letter uh, with the result. You know, what happened, what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't. And these are generally very carefully written by people who, you know, write them for a living. My clients tend to be small businesses, owner, owner operated. And their initial reaction is always fiercely emotional. Most of them read, I would say, maybe 20% of the words that are on the page. Um, and within seconds, they're drafting responses and asking me to comment on them. And uh, my job is to sort of take the, the letter away. It's one of the few things I print. 
So I print it, I'll take it upstairs and I'll read it in a different environment and then I'll come back downstairs and I'll read it here in the office. I will then make some notes on it. I will then look at what they're referring to because, you know, government does government. So it refers to subsection G of paragraph three of regulation 11 of law, you know, all of that stuff. So you do all that looking up, make sure you know where you are. It refers back generally to the policies and procedures of the client. So there's another set of documentation that I look at and I just sort of soak myself in all the information. And 99 times out of 100, um, <laughs> what's happened is that the client has said, when a customer comes in, we do A, B, and C. And the inspector has gone, with customer X, there is no evidence that you did C. Therefore, you're in breach of blah, 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 blah. And so the breach is of people breaking their own procedures, not somebody else's, not some written regulation somewhere. But they've said that we're going to do A, B, and C, and they forgot to do C. To which the only fair response is, fair cop, gov, won't do it again. Thank you very much. Mm. Not you're wrong or C doesn't matter in this case because it was a Wednesday and on Wednesday we always don't worry about C. All of the stuff that the clients come out with. And it's incredibly important because I have, I have previously stopped clients sending off very ill-considered letters saying very ill-considered things to people who can shut down their business. I mean, that's the thing you need to be careful with, with regulators. You get the wrong side of them, they can just shut you down or fine you or send you to prison. So um, from that side of things, I'm pretty good at it in terms of, of looking at, at these type of things and saying, okay, what's going on here? What is the actual issue? Is anybody incorrect? Is anybody unfair? Because regulators make mistakes, don't get me wrong. They, they say things that are either incorrect I've had a couple of those recently, or things that are, well, open to interpretation, um, in which case those are the worst ones because you have to gently sort of nudge back and say, well, you interpret it that way, but I don't, and this is why. Um, those type of things, I'm pretty good. I mean, I learned the hard way. I've got it wrong. I used to be the client, if you see what I mean. So that's why I remember how the client feels, and I immediately just get on the phone to them and say, okay, what, what we're going to do with this is we are not going to respond. What? Okay, they're a regulator. They say they want a response immediately. That means within 30 days, not in the next 10 minutes. Just just chill. Um, and I think it's, a, it's an incredibly important thing to do because often you can, turning the problem around, um, for example, one problem that came up with her with a client, sort of five Five things have got, this has gone wrong, that's gone wrong, that's gone wrong, that's gone wrong. And when I looked through, I could change one word in one procedure and that problem would disappear. And so I just said to the, to the client, I said, well, actually, I think, you know, this is great. They've highlighted a procedure that isn't quite right within the business and we can amend it. But what about the, and I said, well, the breaches are the breaches and you just need to go back and put your hands up and say, yep. You can explain why they're not serious and they're not the end of the world, but you must acknowledge they happened because you said you were going to do A, B, and C and you didn't. Um, and I think that's an incredibly important thing. And I think my wife would probably say it would be great if I was a lot better at getting it right with her as well and understanding that if she has a problem, in inverted commas, I was doing air quotes for those watching on YouTube, um, it's not necessarily a problem. 
And the other place that I've learned this, and I'm, I'm aware I'm talking, I'll let you talk in a minute, Justin. <laughs> um, the other place that I used to be involved in the running of a golf club. Oh, and boy, you're, you and your admin weeks, huh? Uh, yeah, kind of. I was, you know, I wasn't paying attention and uh, they asked for a volunteer. Everybody else stepped backwards. And uh, it was, therefore, it was me. So I, I, for some reason, sort of took on the mantle of, of represent, dealing with, with, with member concerns, uh, which are almost invariably um, old white men um, in the club that I was involved in, mostly ex-army old white men, um, who were coming to me and explaining everything that was being done wrong in the club, from dress code to opening hours of the bar to how long it takes to play a, a round of golf on a Wednesday afternoon, you know, all sorts of nonsense. Um, and I very quickly learned that the, the only mistake that I could make with these people was to solve their problems. As they were coming to me, not because they wanted the problem solved, because they wanted someone to listen. That's all they wanted. And I would listen, nod, make all the right noises, do absolutely nothing. And they thought I was great. And again, it's that not rushing in thing that you, you quoted right at the start. And you say, most of us instinctively rush to define it and look for solutions. That's very often not what is required. And I think it's because most problems are not problems. Mm. Right, that's enough out of me. What about you? Does does this happen in your professional private world? Not necessarily at the moment. I think it really depends on you know, like like you. There's there's time, um, you know. The emergency thing doesn't necessarily come up in my role at the moment. Uh, nothing surprising comes up. Uh, in the past, when I've done more of an operational role. Certainly there's been a lot more of these time sensitive emergencies, you know, we're about to drop a bridge if we don't fix something immediately. Um, there are, there's a rush to jumping into fixing a problem, you know, been that firefighter, that fireman is completely exhilarating, especially if you're good at it, you know, you have a huge problem that is a potential showstopper, you know, the, the, their safety concerns, there's logistics concerns, there's, you know, all kinds of stuff, equipment's blown up, you know, whatever it is. Um, you've got large, large, large schedules and things on, on the go. Trying to figure out ways to solve those is, is fantastically fun for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, with hindsight, some of the times you needed to take a step back and look at it to see, is it the right problem to solve? And the other thing I would add to that is, am I the right person to solve it as well? Uh, because certainly jumping in and fixing things can, can be a demotivator for your staff. So really, as I learned over time, you, you've got to sort of have a, have a moment to figure out what is the right response, not just, can I do it? And will I do it? And will I get excited doing it? Because that's just, yeah, you get that, you get that rush of adrenaline too. You, you know what I'm talking about there? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. There's um, uh, a brilliant, brilliant anecdote. It's not my anecdote. It's a sort of received anecdote. Um, when I was working in the bureau de change business way back when, when, when God was a little boy, 
Um, and we had a we had a big bureau de change in Paris. And um, it's it's on the Champs-Élysées, and you have um, a big sort of customer area, it's all marble tiled, um, and then you have a sort of a, a line of counters, you know, bulletproof glass, marble counters, and people like me sitting behind it going, yep, I'll change your money for you. And a, uh, a policeman had turned up and was being, being a French policeman, he was speaking in French and demanding entry and being very melodramatic. And that wasn't necessarily that unusual. You know, the police want to speak to you about stuff, but he was being really, really sort of assertive. And we were all quite young. We were all quite new. And so the call went up. The above us was, was head office, um, was on the floor above us. And this, this guy, um, uh, John Gianni, his name was, um, really nice fellow, London Italian, um, would have been at the time, I suppose, in his 40s. Um, and he came, he came running down the stairs and said, don't worry, I used to be in operations. Tripped on the last stair, careered headfirst into the metal safe, knocked himself out cold. <laughs> Oops. And uh, we all, <laughs> the, the, the counter staff, all of us 18, 19-year-olds went, well, now what do we do? And so eventually I just spoke to the policeman and said, can you come back tomorrow? And he went, yeah, that's fine. But I, I have to say it was just, we, we we got an ambulance for the guy, got him sorted out. But it was just the funniest thing, that that wonderful line. I'll never, ever forget it. Don't worry. I used to be in operations. Where? Out, Sparko. Brilliant. Uh, yes, don't rush in. Mm -hmm. uh, Greg McEwen actually has a part to his conclusion to his uh, blog post. Uh, he calls it the five second rule. Pause five seconds to suspend judgment. Look, listen, and explore before you come to an opinion about what you agree with or disagree with. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of this. Uh, I used to look at it somewhere different. It was always the event plus the reaction leads to the outcome adding a pause between the event and the reaction leads to a better outcome. I remember somebody in one of those corporate trainee things that, uh, you know, you did back in the day, um, talked about that. And I, I gotta admit, it's huge. Um, it's really good. It's the reason I'm still married because sometimes that five second pause will be, no, my wife does not want you to answer right now. This is yeah. not a question she's really looking for a solution to. Um, yes, don't, don't say it. Don't say it. Just sit there on your hands and don't talk. Mm -hmm. Don't know why. Sitting on my hands, I shut up. Do you do that, Stu? Um, I don't think I've ever knowingly shut up. Um, no, I mean, I think, I, th I think for me, um, perhaps this is my coping strategy because, as previously mentioned, I'm not very good at shutting up, is to ask some questions. Um, so as this problem, whatever this problem might be, uh, arrives in, in my world, um, asking questions of the person who's brought it to me. And I mean, in a encouraging listening type mode, uh, helps me then identify that, that key thing of going, oh, hang on, this isn't really about a problem. This is about emotion. This is about venting. Um, and as you say, figuratively, what I need to do is nothing here. Just listen. Um, asking a couple of questions. A, the more information you have, the better. Um, B, it buys you some time. And C, it gives 
my very underused empathy <laughs> um, skills the chance to go, ah, hang on, what I need to do here is sound encouraging. You know, so I think the pause, however you achieve it, is very important. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this whole asking questions thing. <sighs> that way, there there be problems. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to pick up my wife, but uh, she might actually think I'm interested in the problem if I do that. <laughs> That's partly the idea, Justin. Oh, God, Stu. God, Stu. No. Uh, no. Uh, seriously, I, I think it's actually not a bad idea. So um, anything that you can do to make that pause, I think is really good. It's It's a strong thing. It will help you take a moment to look at what the problem really is. Is this a problem I need, I need to fix? Can I fix it right now? Uh, what, am I the right person to fix this even, you know, because there are things that, you know, in, in a corporate organization, particularly, you may not be the right person. There may be other people, you know, and you're just going to brute force an answer. So I, I think this was actually a really good idea. I mean, it's nothing that we've never thought about before. But talking about it, I think is a refresher that this Craig McEwen, he knows his stuff. He does. He's at Cambridge University, don't you know? Uh, yes. Uh, and he even has a podcast, too. He does, mate. He does, yeah. I, I do listen to I've, I've got to say, I much prefer his writing to his podcasting. But hey, take what you can get. Mm. He's very serious on his podcast. Everything is, uh, well, life or death. It <laughs> sounds like... Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, he's obviously working off a script and uh, probably a hell of a lot more organized than we are, my friend. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's that, that level of drama. Oh, I don't need that in my life. It's tough. All right. Any takeaways, Stu? Uh, it sounds a bit cheesy, this one, but reframe. Uh, when something comes to you as a problem, uh, try and reframe it as an opportunity. I'm amazed how often that works. Um. It's, it sounds really cheesy and it can be really cheesy. Some problems are clearly problems. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to lessen that, but many problems do actually represent opportunities to be positive. What about you, JT? What have you got? You know, reading through this, use the pause, unless you're a podcaster because the pause is dead air, uh, but yes, use the pause. Uh, it's really important. Gives you a little bit of clarity and it'll help you define your problems a little bit better. All right, Stu, where can people find you on the internet this week? What have you been up to? I haven't seen much from you. Yeah, no, it's been very quiet with this deadline and stuff. I've, I'm behind on my uh, on stuartlannon.com, but I will be writing, I am certain. Um, I'm taking Mrs. L for an injection, a steroid injection into her back tomorrow. So that'll give me some time while I'm sitting around waiting for that to happen. Uh, so yeah, stuartlennon.com for my writing, or you can drop me an email at hello at stuartlennon.com if you want to uh, talk to me about something. That's cool. Um, if you're into uh, anti-money laundering, I mean, and who wouldn't be, uh, limeconsulting.com. That's lime the fruit, limeconsulting.com. Uh, did you register? You would, yes. Hold on a sec. I've got to ask because we talked about it last week. Yes. AML guy. Did you register one? Theamlguy.com. All right. There you go. So you can go there and that'll take you to limeconsulting.com if I know. Oh, well, it, it won't do anything at the moment, but yes, it would do if I could be bothered to set up the forward. Um, 
Uh, right, right now I've got the domain. That's the most important thing. Um, and I'm, I'm researching, Justin, I know you're going to be excited by this. I'm researching some polo shirts. So, um, I may in fact be the only person speaking at very high powered compliance conferences with a polo shirt and a huge tattoo on his forearm. <laughs> ah, well, um, you've not met me, if, have you, Stu? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I think probably both you and I would generally cover it up, but I've now reached that point in my life where I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to be the tattooed guy. And if people have got a problem with that, they've got a problem with it. I've been that for some while, for some time. So I'm good with it. Okay. See, uh, you're, you're a leader in so many ways, Justin. Um, and if you really, no, I'm just old and I don't give a crap about anybody <laughs> else. That's all it is. <laughs> all right. All right. So finally, if you want some really good stationery, go to nerosnotes.co.uk where the lovely Claire will sort you out with some wonderful stuff. Uh, what about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Ah, well, I've been pretty quiet as well. Uh, you could find links to everything I'm doing. JustinTwyford.com. That includes links to, well, this very stationary adjacent podcast. Um, also my YouTube channel and, you know, you can send me emails. You can send both of us emails, stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. We certainly do appreciate your emails. Uh, can you take a moment and like and review us on your favorite podcast catcher of choice? We really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues you think might get something from this, particularly those that jump in and solve the wrong problem. Good episode to share to them. Our next topic will be the future of computing. And hopefully I can tell you good things about Apple and my replacement watch by then. Excellent. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.